Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to SBS on the Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. It is your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 9th of March, 2023. We'll start with the Australian share market, which while nothing really happened by the end of the day, the ASX 200 up by just 0.1%. It was a really big day for companies going ex-dividend, the likes of BHP, CSL and Rio Tinto, some of the biggest names to go ex-dividend today. Of course, that's good news for those shareholders and investors looking for uh, dividends as an income. For more, I spoke earlier with Evan Lucas from InvestSmart. You look at it from the point of view at the moment that March is always a very quiet month. So if you actually see a positive day, that's impressive because you're right to point out that there is money flowing out of the market through dividends, which tend to come back into investors' pockets in April and May. So it is interesting to see it because technically, if you put those dividends back in, probably would have meant the market would have been up about 0.8 of 1%. Uh, The Bank of Canada paused on lifting interest rates overnight. We heard over the past few days that the RBA says it may be close to a point where it can pause lifting interest rates here. Is this the start of a global trend? Yes and no. And why I say that, the only bank to point to that isn't going to pause anytime soon is the US Federal Reserve. I mean, they have clearly said that not only can they not slow down, they might have to re-accelerate. They are different to everybody else. I think we are comparable to Canada. We are comparable to the UK and to New Zealand because the majority of Canadians, Brits, Kiwis and SLs have variable interest rates on our mortgages, whereas in the US, they don't. When you take out a mortgage in the US, it's fixed for 30 years, full stop, no returns. So they are different. So yes, you could make an argument that there is a pause coming. You look at the Bank of Canada, they have gone harder and faster than what has gone on at the RBA. So they probably are at that point. Their inflation is showing signs of moving in the right direction, being down, which we are not necessarily there yet, although it is peaked. We haven't seen it in everything. Services is a great example. So this year will always be about the pause. It's just a question of when. And then so that's, I think, more the question is, are Australia at that point? We're close. There's no doubt about that. The probability, according to the market, of an April rate rise is below 38%. So, you know, even here, we are suggesting that next month it's there. But I'm not sure it's done. And that's what I need to point out. We are probably not done yet. We might get a pause, but it's not the top, unfortunately. Okay, the other key thing that's going to impact the Australian economy is that of China. It saw some inflation numbers come out today. What did it say about the economy there? That it's still reopening. I think that's the only way to put it to you. I mean, their inflation is yet to sort of move to what we've seen in the post-COVID world for every other, you know, basically place on the planet. Year-on-year inflation, 1%. Quarter-on-quarter inflation, it contracted. They're in deflation on the quarter, down 0.1 of 1%. That's a staggering thing. It shows why this week Xi Jinping has been so prominent about getting out GDP figures, spending in government areas that he can affect, things like national security. That is designed to get inflation up because they are going too slow. They need to grow and they need to move. There's a double-edged sword to that in terms of the answer too, Ricardo. And the reason for that is that if China needs to start growing and needs to increase inflation to get that going, they're an exporter of inflation to the world. And therefore, that argument about inflation coming down 
overall is good, but we may get this second kick as sort of China comes through, starts to expand, it puts pressure on supply chains, pressure on demand, increases price, and therefore inflation follows through longer than we were hoping it to do so. Can we focus on some local corporate stories? First of all, the banks are finally confirming that they'll pass on the RBA's Tuesday rate rise. What's your take on the sector? So I think it's very interesting. The one to listen here is Matt Common, the CEO of, of ComBank. And why I say that, banks are starting to try and point out that they're going to become a corporate citizen. And why that's interesting is that they are fully aware that their clients are under pressure. They are fully aware that the next 18 months is going to be tough. A bank doesn't want their clients to go under. They get more money out of you if you can actually hold the line for the 30 years your mortgage is there rather than crashing and burning. So margins in the space are going to get tighter. They're already telling you that. And you can already go and ask them for a sharper interest rate because they've got the capacity to do so. And again, that therefore means the answer. In the short term, the sector may actually suffer because what they're doing is they're not thinking about now. They're thinking about five and 10 years time. If they can keep their clients happy, get them through this hard period, they're going to stay with them. And therefore, the overall economic impact to their bottom line is better. And therefore, the overall look longer term is better. But in the short term, they may suffer because the results are telling you they're having to sharpen their pencil and help their clients through reducing margins and therefore reducing profit. Okay, one company making news is Maya. Record first half sales, a 101% increase in net profit, a special dividend for shareholders as well. So is this a company turnaround delivered by the management or did it just benefit from economic conditions, which now seems to be softening across the board? Probably a combination of both. You've got to give them credit. I mean, if you look at where their omni-channel has gone from their online channel, it's now over 20% of their group sales comes from online and they're only trying to grow that further. And that's despite the fact that they saw in the final quarter a 9.8% decline in online sales because people are now going back to their department stores. So as they said today, department stores are not dead. They've just had to be reinvented. It's So it's partly that. Well done to management for turning it around. Meyer has been a horrible company to try and turn around over the last you know, almost decade and a bit since they refloated back in 2010 at $4.10, might I add, and they're now at $1.08. But the economic conditions are also part of it. We were spending, you know, first time out of COVID, you could see the spending was there. And then you look at their like-for-like sales, you look at their sales since the 28th of January, the end of their financial year numbers, they're on the way down. And that's what we know, and that's why they're being conservative. So, yes, well done to management. Yes, the economics has helped them, but they are fully aware that what's coming in the future is going to be a very hard place. Okay, final thing. There's been quite a few bits of news today. Uh, Zero, the cloud accounting software company, um, shares doing well today, but it's cutting as much as 800 jobs globally. Uh, are we going to start seeing a lot of this, especially from tech companies here in Australia, following on from the likes of your big tech companies in the US, like your Amazons and, and your Microsoft and the like? And your Atlassians as well. So again, they're all in the same boat. They're all very, very growth heavy over the last sort of five to 10 years, very much invested in human capital and therefore cost. When you have an operating headwind, you've got to start flexing that cost as they always love to use in C-suite speak. And that's where that comes off. So not surprised, you will not be the only one to be talking about zero. It will be others in that space. You watch those text numbers that have got high levels of debt, that are having to fund those levels of debt, that aren't growing at the rate they were, therefore don't need that amount of expense and that headcount are going to go down that path. So this is just a continuation of a trend that we've been seeing globally finally reach our shores as well.
Evan Lucas there from Invest Smart. Now to the cost of living, where low-income households are disproportionately being impacted. That's according to economists at CEDA. And for more, I spoke with its senior economist, Andrew Barker. We're talking about one-fifth of Australian households, those with the lowest incomes. So that's around 5 million Australians. And they'll be hit because there are big increases in non-discretionary expenditure items. So things like energy and housing, the bills that you have to pay. One of those big increases is related to those rate rises from the Reserve Bank then passed on by the banks. Given that 40% of average disposable income, according to you, will be taken up by rent or mortgage costs, doesn't this define them to be under rent or mortgage stress? And, And what does that mean? Yes, so housing stress is typically defined as spending 30% or more than 30% of your income on housing. Uh, And so certainly for this group, on average, they are suffering either rental or or mortgage stress. And what that means is that your housing costs are so high that they place you at higher risk of financial stress and potentially you need to cut other expenditure or are unable to pay your rent or your mortgage. Yeah, so what does that mean about the way that low-income earners or low-income households will have to cut their expenditure? What kind of things will they cut and to what extent? So we already see in surveys that that households are cutting their expenditure on discretionary items like going out for dinner or going on holidays, but that's particularly severe for for low-income renters or or low-income mortgage holders, and we estimate that they will need to cut their expenditure by their discretionary expenditure by about 10% on average. Now, what about households in general? And aren't lower income households hit disproportionately when when compared to, say, higher income households? Yes. So, so all Australians are affected by these steep increases in energy and housing prices. But Australians with higher incomes are, are less severely exposed. So we estimate that for low-income households, their spending on energy will go from about 5% of their disposable income to 7%, whereas for high-income Australians, that's about a 1.3% to 7, 1.7% increase, so it's a less severe increase for high-income households. So given that there's going to be a pullback in discretionary spending across the economy, do you foresee a recession? So during 2022, the economy was was driven by strong household spending and given the cost pressures that people are facing now, we're not going to see that same household spending increase this year. So we do expect a slower rate of growth of the economy this year than than last year, certainly. Finally, um, these issues with low-income households and the rising cost of living, higher energy costs, uh, interest payments rising, what can be done about it? There's obviously a a budget challenge that the government's facing with a structural budget deficit. So uh, an across-the-board big spend is not appropriate. That will further stoke inflation. Um, But rather, it needs to be targeted uh, for energy price increases. They're being caused by the global energy crisis Hopefully that is temporary, so we should be looking for temporary and targeted support, like what the government's still working through doing with with, um, targeted energy bill relief. Um, For those more structural changes like the increase in rent costs, the government's going to need to look at um, broader measures like increases in the generosity of Commonwealth rent assistance. Andrew Barker there, the Senior Economist at CEDA. This SBS On The Money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. The content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. 
It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision.